Blog Talk Radio. Bakersfield, 
all the West Coast uh, towns, uh, Southern California towns, uh, we would go up north to Frisco. Sometimes on the other ring, had to go somewhere else. Um, I was the, I was the timekeeper. I was the jacket guy. I even ring announced on a couple of occasions um, when they when the ring announcer wasn't available. The, the regular guy. Um, and you know, I, I actually got a job uh, that time period, right around the time period. I was actually started out in red, as an assistant for Red Bastine. Uh, red Bastine was the agent for the uh, WBS in the West Coast at that time period, and he had an office in the Anaheim Convention Center because the WBS ran there on a semi-regular basis in Anaheim. And he had a small office there, and I would go there and I would, uh, you know, take calls. I would uh, answer messages, give him his messages. I would do banking form. I would. Um, I make the pass list for the, the shows. Like, so let's say the the WS came in a sports arena that month in LA. I would have to make the guest list, like who could get in for free and who doesn't get in for free, who's on the list, you know, and who's who shouldn't be on the list, and and so on. So I had that charge of all, all the towns uh, for San Diego, uh, LA, Bakersfield, Fresno, all those towns. I was making the guest list and stuff like that. Um, I was, you know, um, I would see checks, you know, for different wrestlers who went to Japan. Like Red was booking guys in Japan, and he would get a booking fee, and I would, I would take that check and I'd go deposit it in the bank for him. It, it, it was pretty, a uh, pretty cool uh, awakening to see how wrestling worked, especially to that side. Like being 16 years old or 17 maybe at this time, and working for Red Bastine in his office was was that, pretty cool of him to do to actually like introduce me into the business that way for sure. Um, definitely an eye-opening experience. You mentioned being trained by Bill Anderson. He is something of a jack of all trades within wrestling. He's wrestled, he's done the ring crew, he's ring announced for several national companies. He works uh, with the CAC, writes books. You've been on sort of a similar path. You've done a laundry list of work within pro wrestling. Do you think that all stems from having Bill Anderson as a trainer and seeing how he has branched out to all these different aspects of the business, or did that come from somewhere else within your career? You know, no, I think he has definitely a, a big um, um, involvement in my career for sure. Like he, uh, inspiration, the, the stuff he does. Um, you know, I, I see what he does, and what you know, when you're a wrestler, you you can't be a wrestler forever. Your body can only wrestle for so long, you know, and and take it for so long, and once you get to a certain age, you know, you get to the point where, you know, am, am, I, am I really giving the fans the show that I, that I used to be able to give them? Am, am, I, am I cheating the fans? You know, am I, am I cheating myself? Am I, you know, I'm not taking the same bumps anymore. I'm not, I'm not doing the same crazy stuff I did anymore because you can't. And so you got to, you got to move on. You got to, you got to, um, you got to pivot to something else. Whether it be myself, I was promoting shows at the same time. Whether it was like Bill, he went, he did ring announcing, he did everything else. I mean, um, it all depends on, you know, it comes down to making a buck too, right? You know, sometimes you got to pivot to make those money, to make the money, you know, and you, or you maybe you, you move into more of a guy who not only, not only you're the ring, maybe, maybe you're organizing the tour. Maybe you're doing a lot of the work for the tour. Maybe, maybe you're arranging the flights. Maybe you're um, booking hotels. Maybe you're doing the transportation. You know, you, you, there's a lot of things guys are doing in, behind the scenes and then their job at the actual show. Maybe, maybe he's the ring out the tour that night. You know, maybe he's wrestling. Maybe he's just, maybe he's just, maybe he's pulling the ring and doing this other stuff, right? You know, um, maybe the guy pulling the ring is actually the referee later in the show, right? I mean, there's there's so many different aspects involved in wrestling, and I think a, a lot of things open up today. You know, with the with social media and stuff, there's different social media jobs available and stuff like that. And wrestling, you know, even though there's no live events really that many much happening at the moment, but there seems to be a lot of opportunity right now in wrestling for sure. But you just got to be able to make yourself versatile, right? You know, explore your opportunities. You know, uh, get get yourself out there. You know. I definitely agree with you 100%. One of the places that has exploded in the last few years as far as mainstream U.S. availability and fan reaction is Japan. Uh, With the advent of New Japan World and just before the pandemic, they were starting to tour on their own in the United States and in the Mexico. What do you think it is that has started to attract the mainstream wrestling audience to the Japanese product? I'm not sure if it's the mainstream wrestling audience or it's more of a uh, certain specific wrestling audience. I mean, there's a, 
I mean, the products are because of the internet. You know, you, I mean, you could watch New Japan on TV on your on your. You can subscribe to New Japan. Similarly, you can subscribe to the WWE Network. Um, you know, you could follow it, and it's a, it's a different style, much more hard hitting, and and more. Uh, you know, and um, I think that has a, a lot of fans like that, and I think it's they. You know, uh, you know, they, when New Japan was touring, I know they weren't doing great numbers. They were doing, you know, you know, a thousand, seven hundred, maybe a couple thousand people in different places they were going. I mean, they weren't, they weren't, it wasn't earth shattering, but they were able to do better than an independent promotion for sure. Um, New Japan has locked up a lot of the top uh, independent guys that are out there. I mean, they locked, I mean, there was a couple of guys in Washington State, I believe they locked up. They got the Clark Connors and um, his name Jet Knight, maybe, I think that's his name. I think his name's something else though in New Japan, but something night. But uh, yeah, I mean they. Um, and I think once COVID is over, they will. I mean, um, I mean they'll definitely do more. I, I, I know they're doing their tapings and they do tapings in Southern California. There, where I think David Marquez uh, produces their TV. Possibly, I'm not 100% sure on that. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think New Japan's kind of taken over what Ring of Honor's may have lost. I think the Ring of Honor had that that kind of fan base before and. Maybe New Japan kind of took some of that fan base away, you know, from the Ring of Honor, possibly. Um, we'll see. I mean, I'll see how much or how much TV penetration they get in the in the U.S. To, I mean, they go to a big market like New York City when they ran that big show in New York. There, and they, I think they, and they run Madison Square Garden. I think they, they um, had a huge turnout there. But that's that's you know, New York. It's a melting pot of people. I mean, I I don't know if they're going to draw the same kind of crowd in you know, Montana or something like that or Idaho, but you know. If they go to a major market that has a Japanese population like Los Angeles or or, or San Francisco or, or, or New York, I think they'll do quite well. One of the other places that you have ventured to in your career, uh, I believe it's possibly the only show we had worked together on was up in Alaska, <laughs> and things seem to be going fairly well up in Alaska. They have some big shows lined up with a lot of nationally known names coming in, and they're going to be interspersed with the local Alaskan independent scene. What do you think of the strides that they have made up there in Alaska for pro wrestling? You know, I think Alaska is is the the last frontier, like they call it. You know, that's the place where it's kind of virtually untapped. I mean, um, there's a lot of potential in Alaska. I mean, not many, not many events go there uh, on a regular basis. And I, I think with, you know, uh, once, I think right now with COVID though, it's hard to make events to see that. I think the promoter running shows right now. And I, I think the promoter is actually a wrestler who's running these events up there, but uh, it's bringing lots of talent in. And I, I wish him his best. I think COVID's probably hurting him a bit uh, attendance wise, but I, I think once COVID is over, he will do great. I mean, uh, running, you know, Anchorage and Fairbanks and uh, Wasilla and the other towns he's going to there. Um, and he, I think he, I think he actually intermingles with some, uh, some shoot fighting stuff too, some UFC type fighting things too. I think he's going to be doing, doing great business. I mean, I, I think that place is hungry for wrestling, uh, hungry for that type of entertainment. I think it's a perfect area for it. It's just a problem getting the guys there. And, uh, that's the, you know, it's so far to go for people who are not on the West coast, like guys out of, like us out of uh, the West Coast here in the Northwest, we could get there easily. But, you know, a lot of talent come from the East Coast. It's a little bit harder. But I think if they could put a string of shows together, you don't go run a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday maybe, and bring talent in. And uh, I think they could do some, uh, definitely do some good numbers there for sure. Now, up in uh, your neck of the woods there in British Columbia, in the last few years, I know you've been putting on some all-female shows, and those have become more and more popular over the past five. You see a lot more all-female shows than you did in previous years, except for all-female promotions like Shimmer or Glow, which were pretty much the exception rather than the rule at that point. What was your take on the rise of all-female shows, and when did you decide that you were going to look into starting to run some of those? Well, you know, I always felt that uh, female wrestlers were were underused and uh, and very talented. I mean, um, there's a lot of female wrestlers out there, um, and they weren't getting their fair, fair shake. You know, they were kind of always playing second fiddle to the guys, and they were um, 
you know, using them on cards, they'd be in second match, third, fourth match. They were, they were getting the main event level, but then, then female wrestling kind of changed. You can see with, with impact, they had they, uh, the knockouts. They kind of like their marquee was female wrestling. And uh, even WWE now, they're, they have their, their, top, their top programs now are female wrestling, Sasha Banks and Malaka uh, Blair, Blair. But, um, you know, um, so I, I thought, you know, let's do, let's do Girls Gone Wrestling. I got the Girls Gone Wrestling name, and I thought it, you know, kind of like, a spin on girls gone wild, but but we weren't promoting that type of wrestling. We were promoting serious wrestling with, with good talent. You know, we were bringing in Thunder Rosa, and we were bringing um, oh, my, uh, Leo Hosaka in. Um, plus, we had Nicole Matthews here and, and, and a bunch of others. You know, um, and we were trying to focus on good wrestling, good storylines, and we were doing the girls shows about you know every once every two or three months because. Um, and we tried to do them back to back. Tried to do two days. We could and do tapings and stuff like that. And then, but the the problem with the girls show is the, is, the, is our regular fans, our regular all star fans, were, which were many. We were doing good in Cloverdale with all star. They weren't supporting the girls shows. If we ran a guy show and we had let's say we had three or four hundred at a guy show one week, we, we were coming back with all girls to two weeks later or or the next month. It would it would cut in, it would go down to 150 people. Like it was the fans did not support the girls' product. Uh, we even we even put a had started having putting out a couple of guys matches on the girls' shows to get some of the fans back, which would help a little bit. But still, the fans, I don't know why, they just didn't want to support the girls' product. So uh, the girls' product's always been a tough thing for me. I mean, I I I really love it. I want to make it work, but it's um, also because there's less girls available. You have to fly a lot of girls in, so it makes it more costly to promote a girls' show. But the attendance is lower, so it's kind of like if unless you're selling the footage online to a a site that's going to pay you for the matches, you know, like that, it's it's, it's really a hard uh, hard to make a go with the girls wrestling. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's on the back burner right now. I mean, all wrestling up here is on the back burner, but you know, um, something we we definitely like to do again in the future, hopefully. You know, it, it becomes about. And that's, that's the Hopefully that's the not, catches not... on for you a little bit more once uh, things get going with uh, live shows once again. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's for girls wrestling. You know, I know I know a lot of girls do customs matches and things like that, and a lot of promoters promote customs. You know, and, um, I'm not into promoting customs or that 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 side of wrestling. My, I'm more of making the girls wrestling into actual league, an actual promotion that has storylines and angles and legitimacy. You know, and um, you know, and, and, um, customs aren't my aren't are my thing up here for sure. That's so. It's, I just wanted to get that out there too. So. Now, another thing that uh, you are involved in is something that definitely has been affected by the COVID pandemic. That being the Cauliflower Alley Club. I know you go down to Las Vegas and take part in the CAC during normal times they canceled last year and it is postponed to the fall this year obviously things will look a little bit different once CAC is back in swing what has it been like for you over the years as a CAC member Uh, have you seen a lot of changes within the organization or is it something that is fairly stable during normal times Well, you know, like in every organization or promotion or event, there's always changes over the years. I and mean, I've been going to CAC, I think, since like 2005. You know, back then there was guys like Red Bastien was the, the guy in charge, you know, and then Carl Lauer and stuff was always been the executive vice president. And after Red moved on and sadly passed away, there was Nick Bockwinkel, right? And, you know, the old guard and stuff like that. And uh, when Nick stepped down, there was Brian Blair. And then Carl Lauer stepped down and, you know, Morgan Dollar was involved for a long time, and I think it's always changeover for sure. I mean, as 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 an event grows, there's gonna be changeover, and not everybody's gonna get along with everybody. I I hear I, I hear this infighting tonight between the in the CAC with people they don't like this guy or they don't like that guy. But you know what? That's like in any wrestling promotion. Like I could go into a locker room and find some guy some guy I don't like. The same thing. I'm sure they could find it. Some guy could find me to do uh, the same way. But. Uh, I, I, I mean, I love CAC. I, I love going to it. Uh, I think now it's, it's uh, you know, last recent, most recent ones, it got bigger than ever. They had some really big name stars there, and they might have 
they might have forgot about the smaller guys that, that helped make the CAC in the past a bit, you know, and they might have, but I think that's just part of the growing pains of the operation. I mean, the, the benevolent fund has helped a lot of wrestlers in, in need who uh, needed to get medical treatment and couldn't pay for, or maybe they were losing their house and there's a mortgage payment made or, or so on, you know, I mean, it's definitely a good cause. And it's a great time. I love going there. I bring a whole group of guys from Canada down with me. Um, usually we're about 10 strong at least. And, uh, we go down there and we have a great time and we uh, love mingling people. We love going to Fremont street. We love going to the hang on the bars. We love seeing all the displays and then in, in the memorabilia room, we love talking to all the old timers. We love reminiscing people we haven't seen since the last year. I mean, uh, I love the CAC and I'm looking forward to it happening again. The sad thing is for us people who are living here in Canada is Canada's got some very strict rules right now on the border. If we, if we cross the border, um, when we return, we have to have a negative COVID test to return. Plus, we get automatic two-week quarantine by land. If we're flying back in the country, we have to get the, the negative COVID test. Plus, we get an automatic three-day hotel stay at a cost of $2,000 in a government-appointed hotel per person. Um, we got to take a test there. And once we provide a negative test, we're allowed to go back to our home. If we don't provide – if we test positive, we have to go to, like, a quarantine facility to stay for the rest of the two weeks. So it's quite uh, challenging to travel right now from Canada. I mean, um, the border is so strict. Um, you know, you're automatically going to be off work from your, your your shoot job for two weeks afterwards because you've got to quarantine, and it could be a it could be, it could be costly. It could be like I said, two thousand extra dollars to quarantine. The way the, the rules are in Canada right now. I mean, uh, so it makes it tough. That's why you there's virtually no travel going on from Canada at the moment or in and out. It's just the rules are so strict right now. As for CAC, like you won't see any Canadians there in Bangalore until the the government, the federal government lifts that uh, that two thousand dollar quarantine ban and, and even the two week quarantine. I mean, I guess if you're retired, you mean when you if you go home and you're retired, and you could go home for two weeks in quarantine. That's okay, but that that's a miss work, and so that's that's a whole different ball game. And they, you know, Canada's way behind in the vaccinations compared to the United States. The United States will have everybody vaccinated, vaccinated by May first, or claiming. Where in Canada, here, like in British Columbia, where I live, there a guy my age is 52 won't get vaccinated until August or September. Now I could cross the line and get vaccinated because I'm an American citizen, but I would, then I have to then I have to quarantine for two weeks too on my return. So did I cross the line and get vaccinated, or did I just wait it out till the fall? I guess get it up here or in the summer, I guess. So yeah, so I don't see myself at CAC this year unless uh, the rules change drastically in the next couple months here. Hopefully they get things changed and you'll be able to make it. But, yeah, definitely I'm sure the CAC going to miss a lot of people this year due to the restrictions that will still be in place. Now, when you yeah. have gone to the CAC in the past several years, do you take part in the annual cribbage tournament that they have? You know, I, I I don't. You know, actually, I've never played cribbage. You know, I've watched a lot of guys play cribbage, but I have never played cribbage. In all the years I've been around, it, I have never. It's something that's never uh, interest interests me. So um, uh, I should learn to play, and I should be like one of those old guys that sit there and play cribbage. You know, and you know that'd be pretty cool. I mean, I, I missed a lot of opportunities. It would have been really cool to play cribbage against guys like the Destroyer or something like that. You know, when he was still here with us. You know, but I missed those opportunities and. I guess, uh, I mean, do you play cribbage? Is that you? Do you play? I play a little bit. It's been a long while since I have played, but I did try to learn the game just in case it was available in locker rooms. Yeah, I think cribbage was a game that was, you know, there was no cell phones back in the day, right? So, like, people would play cribbage, play cards, you know, like they, but nowadays everybody's on their cell phone. They're sitting in their, they're sitting in their own little part of the dressing room and they're, surfing Twitter, you know, so like no one, I don't think, I think it's something that doesn't exist in today's business. And if, the, and if they're playing a game, they're playing a handheld Nintendo Switch or something like that, you know, nowadays. And they're playing those type of handheld games. I, I just think the days of playing cribbage are something that's probably just about gone. I don't, I've, I've, I haven't seen any locker rooms in, in a long, long time myself. I think I've seen maybe one game in all my years. Uh, that one kind of took yeah. me by surprise, so I think it's kind of a dying art, but who knows yeah. what the future will bring, I guess. 
Now, since you have been around for quite a while, I know you've seen a lot of changes within the wrestling industry. What would you say are some of the things that have changed the most? Like what traditions do you think either are now gone or are now part of the business that are a major part or maybe the style of things that are done were on the business end, just kind of what in general do you see as some of the bigger changes since you started? Well, kayfabe for one, that's gone for sure. I mean, uh, back in the days, you know, you'd, you'd ride to the town and, you know, if you were a heel riding the Bay Face, you know, the, whoever was driving would drop the other guy off from, around the corner from the building and stuff like that, and you'd have to walk in yourself, that thing, and, you know, you would never be seen around, you know, your opponent anywhere afterwards either you you know you had to go to a sponsor afterwards you would sit apart you know or sit at a different table or something like that that's now everybody's just you know hugging on each other and kissing each other and uh, hanging out with each other they don't care anymore just taking photos of each other it's, it's all online it's all in the open so definitely the art of cave babe is definitely gone and i you know i i understand people under know it's it's a show but when you when you go like when I go to watch a movie I, I I'm able to suspend disbelief and I can actually get into the movie and watch it and same thing with wrestling I, I if I watch a show I guess uh, a match I can suspend disbelief and I could actually if the heels doing this job as a heel you can you know that you know that's the guy that's the bad guy and the bay face doing this job you know that's a good guy and you can suspend this but if you see them hanging around each other before the before the match or or after the match it kind of your the whole illusion the whole show was kind of like spoiled so i definitely think cave babe is definitely one um another tradition that's gone is the speaking carney uh we used to have our own language you know the carney which is uh, derived from the carnivals and i bet you there's not a guy in the dress room in most places you go to could speak it now um and uh at all you know whether it's a couple words or, or, or a fluent sentence um so uh and it was something that was dying off when i was starting out you know so i mean uh and I don't speak it very often. I might speak a little bit here and there, but uh, you know, it's just it's, it's never used, so it's never practiced. So you get out of practice, and I think that's that's definitely something that's gone. Um, also, um, another thing gone is, is is the dressing room privacy. You know, like nowadays, there's every Tom, Dick, and Harry's running coming in and out of the dressing room. Back in the day, you had to knock, you had to ask for permission. You know, the only guys in the back were the referees and the wrestlers. And, you know, it wasn't guys bringing their buddies in or this and that and so on. And, uh, it was kind of like a sacred area, you know, like in, in, you got your chance to get to the dressing when you're starting out or, you know, it was great. It was, all, it was something that was special, but now it's just like free run of everything. So as we got to wrestling in the ring, I mean, um, I think the wrestling ring is amazing. I think the wrestlers today are better than, better than the wrestlers of yesteryear for sure. Um, talent wise and ability wise and skill wise, they're definitely better. But I think the guys of yesteryear, they were actually did. They got more out of the fans by doing less. Um, you know, uh, doing less is actually giving them more. You know, um, they were able to tell better stories. They wore, they wore, they grabbed a hold. You know, hey, I, I just saw something online yesterday. I said, I mean, once the last match you saw on national TV, they actually started out with chain wrestling. You know, at the start, did some, they actually did some wrestling at the start before they actually went into their, their, their walked into a super kick or something like that, or or flew off the top rope or you know out of the ring. I mean, just Chain wrestling's gone. Um, you know, good tag team wrestling's gone. Um, you know, um, psychology's gone. Like I, I mean, I love I love some parts of AEW. I love. You know, I I thought the angle with Jericho was strong at the end last week on Wednesday, but I thought the rest of the show was garbage. I mean, it's 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 hard to follow. It's uh, guys uh, getting super kicked and nipping back up from it, you know, and stuff like that. And not even selling it. Uh, you know, it's uh, the art of selling. That's definitely guys don't sell anymore. They don't want to sell. They want they want they want they want to look weak. They, uh, uh, some matches could have ten finishes in them. They could have, you know. Uh, so I watched a match actually. I watched a match tonight. Yeah, a match had multiple finishes in it, but I think the finish at the very end was a, was the old school small package or some of that, which was cool. But there was ten more devastating moves before that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I definitely understand where you're coming from. And if it helps you out ever, I speak Kizarni fluently, Tizel Tizot. 
that's awesome. You speak Carney, I get it's good. Fluently, that's great. Awesome, man. <laughs> Very good, man. Yeah, you must be one of the only few guys that do that, though. You must maybe can you travel to the to the uh, central United States a bit? So probably down in the Tennessee and Arkansas area, in those places, they probably do it down there actually. Um, it's honestly about the same anywhere you go. Um, if you run into guys that were trained, say ninety-seven ish. On backwards, there's a chance they'll speak it. If not, then usually not. Right, right. Well, we've hit the point in the show where we have a game we like to play. We call it Word Association. I'll throw out the names of some people that you have come across in your career, and the first word or two that pops to your mind is the answer. Are you prepared to play around the Word Association? Well, you know, I've taken a lot of chair shots in my life, so we'll see how, see how my word my word association. I might not even remember these guys. We'll see how it goes here. <laughs> All right, here we go. Bambi Hall. Bambi Hall. Yes. Did you say Bambi Bambi Hall? Yes. Oh, sweet, uh, cute as a doe, uh, tough as a buck. You know, definitely. Bill Anderson. Bill Anderson, uh, legend in my mind, trainer, mentor, person I look up to. I have fooled Debashi. <laughs> uh, Trump supporter, nut, crazy, uh, lunatic, um, conspiracy theorist. Uh, <laughs> but he's a good guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> Mike Santiago. Mike, oh, he's a heat magnet. That guy is uh, likes to stir it up. Um, definitely a good worker, though. Good worker in the ring, but he loves the he loves the light fires for sure, um, and he loves collecting minor league baseball hats. Al Tomko. Al Tomko, one of the guys, gave me my start appearing in Vancouver. A good guy, good heart. Um, last guy, the last guy up here to run full time territory, six days a week. And have weekly television the time period. Uh, yeah, good guy. Casey Carlisle. Who's that? Casey Carlisle? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, she's a, she's a good, a nice, nice young lady. Yeah, she had uh, worked up here for us a few times. Uh, yeah, definitely a good person. Pleasant, pleasant, pleasure to be around for sure. Vast Nevada, uh, insp- uh, definitely the heart and soul of local wrestling up here. A uh, true historian who keeps in uh, great records of the business. So he loves the business and uh, one of my best friends in the wrestling business. In and out of the business, one of my best friends. C.W. Bergstrom. Wow, C.W. Bergstrom. Haven't heard of him in a long time. I haven't had contact him in a long time. Big man, uh, giant man, a great guy to work with in the ring, easy to work with in the ring, good sense of humor. We had a match in a baseball stadium in Oregon years ago. It was in the pouring rain. We were slipping and sliding on a, all over the place. It was funny. It was fun. Uh, nobody got hurt. Uh, yeah, CW's a good guy. Bad blood. Bad blood. Bad blood. <laughs> you know, bad blood is a young kid. I, I met him in Compton, California uh, at a lucha show. Um so I've known him for since my start, actually, or since his start. He was I was wrestling before him, and uh, good guy. Um, it seems uh, he tries to travel, makes uh, makes a goal of wrestling. You know, uh, has a podcast too. I did his podcast a few months ago. Uh, yeah, nothing bad. Nothing bad to say about Bad Blood. <laughs> a last name, Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal, former WWE World Champion, awesome man, um, good friend. Um, you know, he would come in and work for us. He wanted charges for the for the nose for the the work here. You you know he stayed with. The, he's just like none of the normal guys. He would come to the wrestling school that was going on at that time and train with the guys. He would travel with us. And he didn't ask for any special any special privileges or any special needs. You know, um, he's good, good guy, good all around guy. I hope I hope he gets gets back in the ring and shows him what how, how good he is for sure. I know he has questions also, so I'm going to pass things over to him. Okay, well, thank you, thank you, sign guy. Hello, Mister Star. Hey, how are you doing? So your name is QT. QT. It stands for quite terrific. Oh, quite terrific. Okay, got it. Yes. 
Okay. Well, Mr. Star, I saw your YouTube video entitled All-Star Wrestling Behind the Curtain, Michelle Star Discovers Pro Wrestling. And in that video, you mentioned you uh, went to Miracosta High School. Is that located at 1401 Arista Boulevard, Manhattan Beach, California? It is in Manhattan Beach, California, yeah. On Aviation Boulevard, I believe. Not, not aviation, sorry. Yeah. All right. Now, yeah. isn't your mascot the Mustangs? Mustangs, that's right, yeah. And your school colors are green and gold? That's correct, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to mark that down in our log book. We, uh, we sometimes ask our interviewees what their high school mascot was and what their high school colors were. But I went to two high schools. I only went to that high school during my freshman year. And then my next three years, I went to Rolling Hills High School, which is on oh, okay. all the, the Rolling Hills Titans. Yeah. Oh, all right. What, what city but is Rolling I, I Hills High School in? <laughs> Sorry about that. What was that? What, what city is Rolling Hills High School in? Uh, Rolling Hills, actually. Rolling Hills, Rolling Hills Estates, California. It's actually called... Uh, Peninsula High School now. They changed the name. It's called Peninsula High School now. Oh, okay. Peninsula, okay. Now, did you ever, in your career, did you ever have a chance to wrestle at Alameda High School in the Bay Area, Alameda High? Hmm. I did work in the Bay Area for um, the guy who passed away. What's his His name? Roland Alexander. So I might have. I know we did do some high school shows. I might have worked it out in the high school. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Well, Mr. Star, in that video, All Star Wrestling Behind the Curtain, you mentioned a man named Carl Lawler. Is he any relationship to Jerry Lawler? No, it's uh, Lawler. L A U E R. He's a oh, promoter okay. who was in was based in California. Now he lives in uh, Missouri. He was also okay. the vice president of the, of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Yeah. Yes, that le- is he still vice president of the Cauliflower Alley Club? I, I think he's still like uh, involved. I'm not sure. He's, I'm not sure he's, if he's the executive vice president still or not. But okay. Well, Mr. Starr, while still in high school, and you mentioned this to Sign Guy, you started doing newsletters and interviews of local events. Did you ever have any interviews with wrestlers in those early days when the wrestlers may have been in a bad mood because they had just lost that day or the day before? I don't know. I think it was treated pretty well by those guys. I mean, nobody really got mad at me. uh too much. I think I wrote, maybe wrote an article once where Pistol Pete and Buddha commented that might have been mad because they didn't portray them how they wanted to be in the article, possibly. Um, I, was, I was still I was still learning. I didn't know how the business worked back then or behind the scenes. Things. I might have said something publicly that I shouldn't, that they thought it should have been said, and they kind of, they just kind of gave me a little lecture about it, you know, and that was it. Nothing really serious. I mean, um, I think the only guy I had issues with ever newsletter time based was Mondo Guerrero. Um, but me and Mondo became friends later. Um, I actually um, ended up working Mondo quite a bit in Tijuana for some shows down there, some lucha shows. So and then we see each other every year at CAC. So I mean, uh, I think you know, as as anything, when you're when you're a young kid and you're getting in, getting involved in a, a world of wrestling who you don't know a lot about and you don't know what a lot of these guys went in the past that at that time period. You know, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna you're gonna ruffle a few feathers and you're gonna. You know, it's going to happen, but, you know, you grow from that, you learn from that, and you uh, correct those things, and you move on, and, you know, keep going. Yeah, I mean, how how mad could they get at a, at a young high school kid starting out? You know, that's right. That's yeah. a pretty basic knowledge. Yes. You know, okay. I, I, do, I do remember one – there was one time, though, I was writing, writing my newsletter, and there was a promotion called California Championship Wrestling run by Barry Richards. They actually had TV. They were on KDOZ Channel 56. Um, Barry didn't like how I covered his promotion, I guess, in my newsletter. And Barry actually, I think, banned me from his events for a time period of time. You know, um, he was very uh, hostile towards me. He didn't, he didn't like me whatsoever. I didn't, and I was, I was a 16-year-old kid, and Barry Richards ran California that, that TV show, but I didn't, did not like me at all. 
Um, so that's 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 actually a funny story from back in the day. Now, did did the news travel that you you had been banned from a wrestling organization, and did that gain you a little bit of notoriety in the high school halls? No, and uh, you know, high, following wrestling back then when I was in high school was kind of like a, you know, you're a weird kid, you know, you're following wrestling. Wrestling wasn't cool back then to follow, you know, in high school, you know, especially in the school I was going to at that point, you know, up, up on the in the in Rolling Hills there, they, you know, it wasn't really a thing, you know, like, yeah, I kind of, I was, you know, I did a newsletter and I was also traveling because I was like doing the ring crew and I would miss a lot, I missed a lot of school to do uh, overnight shows at WWF, you know, to do the ring and stuff. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, not something that was popular back then for sure. Well, uh, now in those days, uh, back in the early 80s, uh, it was the territories were starting to die out. It, well, they were dying out, but the wrestlers still traveled quite a bit. Did you ever have a chance to interview Billy Jack Haynes and Rip Oliver? No, I did not. But I've been around Billy Jack quite a bit over my life. Um, uh, I saw Billy. You know, when I started working on WWF and traveling with them, I I kind of stopped the newsletter. Right, uh, I was I was giving the guys a newsletter for a while, like the the ages and stuff like that. And, Eventually, I stopped doing the newsletter just to because uh, it was kind of like conflict of interest a bit, you know. So I just kind of just then I had my job at WWF, which just was doing okay. So I would see guys like Billy Jack different towns, and now I mean I remember one time where I was um, I think it might have been in Fresno or one of those places. Um, Outback Jack was giving me grief about something, and uh, Billy Jack uh, stood up for me and says, "Hey, you leave him alone. He's my friend," you know that thing. And, and then from then on, Billy Jack was always uh, an awesome guy to me. Like another time, I was uh, in another dressing room. Steve Offy just joined WWF, and like I walked in the dressing room. Steve Offy didn't know who I was. He's I walked. Well, what's he doing here? Been, you know, like, like get out of here. And, and Billy Jack again says, No, no, he's with us. He works for us. He says, you know, leave him alone. That thing, right? So like Billy Jack's always been a cool dude to me. We went to Art Bar's funeral together. Um, when we sat with each other at that funeral and stuff. So when Art Bar passed away, Beetlejuice and. Uh, yeah, I, I I I love Billy Jack. I haven't seen him in a long time. I've talked to him in a long time, but it'd be good to see him again someday. Uh, Beetle Juice was a good character. I I liked him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Mister Star, uh, early in your well, after a couple months in your in your career, the uh, wrestlers started to trust you, and in a pivotal moment in your young life occurred when Jimmy Snuka ripped your shirt off. Can you tell our Turnbuckle fans about this shirt ripping incident? You know that's a, that's actually a California Championship wrestling. That's before they hated me. Um, <laughs> Before I was banned, I was doing a I was doing a jacket. That's at Fender's Ballroom, I believe, in Long Beach. Um, my trainer Billy was my we were doing a ring crew at that time period too. I guess he had he had Jimmy uh, he convinced Jimmy to do that. I guess right. So Jimmy, yeah, it was it was kind of uh, weird to happen. You know, I didn't know what was happening. You know, and it's but you know, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I I went on to wrestle Jimmy uh, many times over the years after that when I became, became a wrestler and had him on many of my shows up here in Canada. So uh, Jimmy was always a good good guy to me for sure. Now, if if there, if this was on YouTube today, Jimmy Snuka ripping your shirt, how many hits do you think it would have uh, viewer wise? Well, I think it is on YouTube somewhere. I think you can find it, but uh, I don't know. I mean, oh, <laughs> yeah, it is on there somewhere. I've seen it recently. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I'll have to watch, I'll have to look that up and do some research. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Mister Star, you said in the early years one of the people who set up the rings with you was Scott Peterson. Did you have a chance to wrestle him early in your career, Scott? No. So Scott Peterson, that's, that's actually how I got the ring creep job at Star. Yeah. So. Uh, Daryl Peterson and Scott Peterson. Daryl Peterson was Matt's pain. Um, he, uh, they were doing a ring together. They were living in Alameda, California, and um, I um, somehow I became acquainted to them somehow. But and uh, Daryl had to go. He was either going to New Japan to train, or he was going to AWA. I can't remember what it was at that point. Um, but I started doing a ring of Scott 
That's right. And then Scott, soon well, after I started the ring, he left for wrestle in for Don Owens in Portland. So uh, then it was just me, and I didn't. I was just a kid then. I remember the first time I set the ring was was in Anaheim, the convention center, and uh, for Red for Dead Vest back then. And then was just, that's how I kind of got got in to that point because I. You know, uh, Scott was gone. Daryl Peterson was gone, and uh, yeah, but I never got to wrestle Scott. Um, so Scott was uh, on his way to Oregon for Don Owens. Okay. Now, speaking of Don Owens and and all the Portland wrestlers, did you ever have a chance to meet a man named Kevin Vaughn who wrestled under the name Lance Von Eric? No, I never met him. Okay, because he briefly was a roommate of Billy Jack Haynes in Portland. Mm, okay. His roommate. Never met him. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Mr. Starr, when you were getting started in wrestling in in the Bay, in, in the uh, California area, uh, and you had a chance to uh, look at the Los, be in the Los Angeles area, had you seen the first acceptance of mainstream women's wrestlers? Uh, I mean, they were much, probably much more established in the California area than the Pacific Northwest. Do you think that's the right assessment? So you're saying mainstream wrestlers, are in, female wrestlers, are in California more than more than the Northwest? You're saying? I mean, there were yes, they had a, a larger was... pool of women talent to draw on. They, if I'm correct, they did. They did, but not a great amount of talent. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, all, uh, all the independent shows I saw in Southern California were always the same girls: uh, Charlie the Golden Cat and um, Debbie the Killer Tomato. <laughs> you know, uh, those two are uh, um, not many others. Pepper Labianco. Uh, there wasn't a lot of. Uh, there were some lucha girls. I can't remember, remember their names, but there wasn't a lot of female wrestling. Then no. Okay, can you tell our Turnbuckle Turmoil fans who the first uh, women you uh, got into the ring with and who was the first lady to give you a body slam? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I can't, I, geez, I, I have no idea the first girl. Was gonna, oh, Iron Maiden. Sorry, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden was the Ooh, first girl. Ooh, Iron was Maiden. Final. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Mr. Star, this past Friday, we had on a wrestler from Atlanta, Georgia, and I asked him a question about Peach Cobbler. Did you ever wrestle in Atlanta, Georgia? And after your match, did you yourself have Peach Cobbler? <laughs> no, I have not. No, no. Oh, Okay. When was the first time you came up to the Pacific Northwest and had our famous apple pie? <laughs> These are very strange questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I came to Pacific Northwest in, in 1988, and uh, as for apple pie, I think I had apple pie before I came to Pacific Northwest. Uh, as for Pacific Northwest, apple pie, I'm not sure. It's not one of my things I usually order on the menu, so I, would, that's, I don't really have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. No problem. All right. Well, Mr. Star, I also saw your YouTube video entitled WCCW Michelle Star Beauty Makeover. Jeez. And if you freeze <laughs> the video, <laughs> I got a kick out of that. If you freeze the video at the one minute and 56 second mark, you can see the date September 28th. 1991. Does that seem like 29 years and almost exactly one half year ago to you? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, time has flown by so quickly. I mean, um, when you're young, you think time's gonna last forever, but as you get older, time just moves so much more faster. Um, yeah. The, wow. That was. The, yeah, it was definitely. We we're trying to do some different things back then in 1991, for sure. Trying to do a, a makeover type thing, but uh, at a beauty salon with actually real customers still in the salon, which was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> wow, 20, that's a long time ago. It's a lifetime ago, for sure. Have you been back to that strip mall? Yeah, I've hung many posters in that mall over the years for different shows. Um, I've never gone back to the actual salon to like get anything done there. 
But uh, I didn't know that. Salon. I don't think that salon's there anymore, actually. Huh. I, I wonder if it is, if they still have an autographed picture of you on the wall, or did they ever? Did you ever find that out? No, I never found it out. I'm pretty sure it's not there anymore. But uh... Okay. Well, in that video, I particularly enjoyed the 3 minute and 90 second mark. Sitting next to you was I, what I presume was a father, but it also looked like he had a young son looking on, and he appeared to be about 10 to 12 years old. He seemed to be pretty okay. fascinated when you were getting your haircut. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's, that's 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 a long time ago, man. I don't. I'd have to watch again to to actually uh, remember what was going on in there for sure. Oh, okay. Well, now at the uh, four minute and twenty second mark, you told the women to be careful of the star that you had engraved near your eye. Don't mess with the star. <laughs> That was funny. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Yes. Memories, man. That's the, yeah. Wow. And well, in, time. in that video at the five minute and 55 second mark, uh, while the lady was uh, doing that clipper cut, you had a message for Diamond Tim Flowers. Do you remember what you said to Diamond Tim Flowers? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. What, what did I say? You basically said that he better watch his step at Chili Whack, and you predicted a victory in Chili Whack. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. All right. Well, Mr. Mr. Star. Uh, entrance music has been a theme of this uh, this show, and entrance music is pretty much standard in uh, pretty much all matches now. When did you first start uh, using entrance music, or did you ever? Yeah, I think when I got here to Canada, I started using entrance music. I started using a <clears throat> dude looks like a lady, and then I switched to Glamour Boy, and then I switched to uh, Barbie Girl in Japan. And then um, I switched to um, God. What's the last one? I touched myself by the vinyls. Oh. Uh, so yeah. So I yeah. Always I think ring music is very important, especially like I like to dance and I go to the ring or like gyrate or you know give guys lap dances to you know to different fans. So it's always music definitely involved in my in my act for sure. Oh wow! Okay, you said you you had the song Barbie Girl in Japan. That's right. Yeah, I used that in Japan because I was a I was a babyface in Japan. I was doing the the gay character was actually a babyface there in that, in that company I was working for. I was working for IWA Japan. So uh, yeah, I was kind of got the crowd going and stuff, knowing that the fans liked it. You know, so yeah. Oh okay. All right. I, I could see that going over well in Japan nowadays because there is a social movement called the herbivore man in Japan. Have you heard of this social movement called the herbivore man? No. No. What is it? Oh. Tell me about well, it. basically – in the seven, in this uh, course of sixties, seventies, and eighties, the Japanese men would work real long hours for the corporation, and they would often uh, fourteen to sixteen hour days w were the norm, and they'd also go in yeah. on the weekends, and to be right. to have yourself established with certain corporations gave you the status. What corporation you work for gave you certain status. And right. men would often work themselves almost into a stupor, and then they'd go out drinking afterwards uh, in late-night bars. Well, yeah. that all started to change recently when uh, in a social movement now where men, uh, especially young men, don't want to get involved with the corporations. They want part-time work, and they're into video games and they're not into relationships at all, and they and a lot of these herbivore men say they're never going to get married ever. Oh, very strange. It's a huge <laughs> shift in Japan. Yes. Wow. Wow. Definitely something. It's a uh, uh, it's a cultural shift. 
Yeah. It's, it's you can look it up on how YouTube. Wow, well, how did you find out about oh, this? Something you said? Oh, I, uh, I heard about the falling birth rates in Japan, the plummeting birth rates. Oh. And there is a uh, movement on called uh, the herbivore man where uh, they don't want uh, the traditional Japanese marriages because even in Japan, a lot of women will take the men's money in old age, leaving the man with nothing. And uh, they've seen some American movies about – like uh, in the 90s about American slackers and the slacker culture. And they've oh, yeah. also seen uh, some movie about men getting getting in America getting uh, worked over in the divorce courts. Right. Oh, wow. But anyway, in, in a long way, that kind of uh, I was interested on how the women in Japan and how your entrance music was in Japan in a roundabout way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very good. <laughs> Now I know about the herbivore man in Japan. Okay, very good. (laughs) Herbivore, yeah, you can look that up. It's kind of like the MGTOW man in America, men going their own way. MGTOW. Okay, interesting. Yes. (laughs) I'm just uh, wondering. Mr. Starr, I want to make sure you have ample time. If there's anything that you want to say to our listeners, plug and promote. Anything and everything you want, how to get merchandise, social medias, any upcoming appearances you might be aware of, your favorite dry cleaner, anything you want, the floor is all yours. Yeah, well, you can follow me on Twitter at, at GMStar. You can check out allstarwrestling.ca online. Um, you can follow me on uh, Facebook as uh, Michelle Starr. Um, Follow our wrestling company, Also Wrestling, at uh, facebook.com forward slash ASW Canada. Um, we don't have any events right now, but we do have merchandise. We have T-shirts available, uh, snapback hats, uh, COVID masks, you know, face masks. Um, we have yearbooks, coloring books, all kinds of stuff available. Um, just shoot us a message through our website. Um, we'll get it out to you. We hope to run shows again in the fall, but it's all up to the government here, uh, Right now, we're not allowed any events uh, whatsoever. We're only allowed to have 10 people outside at a time in a social distance type event. So um, there's no wrestling scene in British Columbia whatsoever at this point. Um, check us out on YouTube, All-Star Wrestling. Um, yeah, just, uh, support local wrestling when it's about. Uh, if, you're, if, you're going to, if you live in a town that has wrestling come to your town, uh, go out there, buy a ticket, support it. You know, and even if you can't attend the event, Buy a ticket, you know, because that, that money goes to pay pay the uh, wrestlers, pay the expenses, to keep the keep the small like carnival type wrestling thing going. Um, you know, I mean, it's good support uh, local entertainment. Uh, these guys go out and work. They work hard for very little money because um, the money's just not there. And uh, go out there and give them some support for sure. Uh, stay safe. Stay six feet apart. Uh, wear your mask. Uh, get your vaccinations. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, gorgeous Michelle Starr, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on Turnbuckle Turmoil. It took us a while, but we definitely loved having you on here. Always welcome back, and I will keep my eyes peeled for when All-Star Wrestling returns. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks, QT, for asking those uh, strange questions that I had no idea what the answers were. But (laughs) I appreciate it. All right, well, thank you very much, and um, before you go, I wanted to pass along a message from Stuart Kemp. He sends his very best and said to tell you hello. Yeah, Stuart Kemp's a good guy. He's, uh, he's, he's been involved in local wrestling, helping out where it's up here in B.C. or down there in Oregon and Washington. Um, he's uh, gone through quite a lot of medical situations lately with uh, seizures and stuff like that, and he needs a bit of help. Uh, if you go check out his page, check him out on Facebook. Stuart Kemp has got a little... Uh, like a GoFundMe. I don't know if it's a GoFundMe, if it's a Facebook GoFundMe thing. I'm trying to pay for some medical bills. So I'm looking up. He deserves all the help he could get for sure. Absolutely. So definitely, fans, go check out Stuart Kemp's social media, get some details on how you can donate. His Pro Wrestling Tea store on the verge of having a great t shirt available to purchase that benefits him to offset the medical costs. Oh, nice. And a 
fans definitely once wrestling opens up in BC, go check out All Star Wrestling. They run a great promotion. You've heard us mention them hundreds upon hundreds of times on this program, so definitely check them out. Gorgeous Michelle Starr is a very, very entertaining sports entertainer, so get on the YouTube, watch some of his footage. There's a ton of it up there. I think you'll definitely enjoy it if you're not familiar, and I'm pretty sure most of our listeners are, but definitely get out there and check it out. We'll be back with you next week. A week from today, we will have War King with the pennant wrestler, and he'll be here, so make sure you have plans to be with us. Stay safe. Go support your local independents if you have them near you, and we'll talk to you soon. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.